So sober living, it's not a term that I hear that comes up too often in the real estate investing world. And I wonder why that is. Maybe it's just not that popular in my network because it sounds like such an amazing and heart-centered business. Today's guest is the owner of three sober living homes in Riverside, California. Hello, and welcome back to the Crushing It in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Tan, and today I have on the show with me, Devana Kamei. Hi, Devana. Hi. Do you want to let the audience know how you got started in real estate? Yeah, so my husband and I were sitting around one day kind of going through our 401k and crunching numbers and looking at savings accounts, and we just kind of realized we're not going to meet our goal of retiring by the time we're in our fifties and kind of having the lifestyle that we wanted with the road that we are, we're on with our traditional kind of investing. So we kind of looked at what our parents did their whole life. They were both really into um, real estate investing and different, different investments and looked at their life and how they get to travel and they have such time freedom and financial freedom from um, some of their real estate investments. So we thought, let's start on that path. Um, I don't necessarily think I went into it as like, I want to be this real estate investor. I just kind of got my first house and wanted to see how that went. And it kind of went from there, but we did know going into it that we didn't want to just, buy like 30 or 40 houses and have like a hundred dollars cash flow in each house. We wanted to have, um, more of a simple life. So less maintenance on houses, less stress, but as much cash flow as we could get on as little stress as possible. Yeah. That's really smart. Yeah. So we decided to start as in a sober living type situation. Well, I mean, it's really cool that both of you guys had your parents to look to as they were already in the real estate field to see kind of what's possible and what's out there. I think a lot of people um, whose parents maybe aren't or just their network aren't into real estate yet um, don't really get that glimpse that you kind of got you and your husband. Yeah, it was it's interesting because um, I think growing up with parents who did a lot of real estate investing and also his who did a, a lot more even than my parents, you, you just kind of take it for granted and you just kind of grow up and this is kind of what they do and whatnot. And so when we started and I started reading books and getting into podcasts and stuff, of course I read the, you know, rich dad, poor dad. And through the whole book, I, I almost had to like laugh at myself. So I was like, this is exactly what my dad said my whole entire life. Um, I should have just listened to him, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it was very, that book was very familiar on exactly what both of our parents told us our whole entire life. Isn't it funny how like parents you know, at the moment, you're like, no way I'm not listening to that <laughs> mom or dad. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I mean, I guess they were right about something. Yeah. Um, were they already investing in sober living or how did you guys come to that conclusion? Yeah, no, neither of our parents did anything like that. Um, I actually, my grandmother had sober livings um, when I was growing up, but I, you know, I kind of heard about them, but I wasn't really familiar with them. But I have a lot of people close to me in my life that were affected by drugs and alcohol at some point in life. And um, I just, 
in 2007, I had an incident with um, somebody close to me that had an overdose and died. And I decided then that I could either be angry at addiction or I could do something to help. At that point, my kids were a little too young to really kind of put my foot down on what I wanted to exactly do with it. So when we were thinking about buying a house, it just kind of popped back in my head. And I thought, you know, this could be interesting. We could have a really good business, make really good cash flow, but also help people along the way. And that's kind of where it all popped into my head. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry for your, fr- your loss of your friend, but it sounds like it also was a catalyst for you to get into this business where, you know, like you said, you can, you know, yeah, cash flow is great, but at the end of the day, you're also helping people, which is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely um, been a, a, an exciting journey, uh, you know, ups and downs, but overall, I feel like um, something that negatively happened in my life I would not be doing what I was doing today or what I am doing today if it wasn't for that incident in particular, I don't think. So there was a lot of gifts in that for me. Mm -hmm, For sure. And you know, a lot of people go through difficult times. I think there's a choice to be made, right? Like you could either blame what happened, you could blame the situation, or you could do something about it, which is exactly what you did. And, and look at what you have now, right? Like a whole portfolio of sober living homes that are helping, you know, hundreds of people at a time, which is amazing. So how about the first one? How did that one come about? Um, so we started looking for a house and, um, I knew nothing like about, you know, I just, I didn't even really, um, research like exactly what I needed in a sober living. I just kind of was like, we're going to do this and we're going to make it work. You know, my husband's more the, the numbers guy and the black and white. And I'm like, Oh, it's all going to work out. So we found the first house and, um, he, we, we just gutted it and we, planned it all out and how I thought about it in my head. And we, um, we, I knew that I wanted to have a high standard of living for these people that were going to come into this house, but, um, make it very affordable for them still have cash flow. Like it was all this balancing act for me that I really wanted to, to do. Um, so we just kind of went into it really not planning as much as maybe somebody else would and um, gutted it, redid it, and we didn't even worry about the people coming until after we had it all done. And then we, I, it just was amazing. Like I, I thought it was going to be so much harder to try to figure out how to get people in the houses. And I just started kind of doing a little footwork, and I went to the different rehabs in the area and detox centers, and presented, you know, showed them pictures, and invited them to the house to look. And it just took off from there. I have had a waiting list ever since, and I, um, I have not had to spend a dollar on marketing or anything like that. My phone just rings and we just continue to take people. So it just kind of took off. And after we had, um, our first house for about a year and our wait list, we just couldn't get enough, you know, people into the beds. We decided to do our second one. Wow, that is amazing. Did you guys hear that? Zero dollars on marketing. I mean, even for like, let's not say a wholesaler or anything like that, a regular landlord usually has to spend a couple bucks on marketing to get their place filled, right? And a wait list since the day you started, that's, wow, I'm, I'm so impressed. Um, how, 
I know you don't like to talk about the numbers, but just, you know, high level for um, people who are listening so they can have a better understanding. Because I think it's really unique, you said you didn't really plan that much, right? And for someone like me who's like, I'm obsessed with plans, it almost gives me anxiety. (laughs) But I feel like that almost like maybe helped you get through it because you didn't know all the struggles or obstacles that might be in the way, but you just knew this is what you wanted to do and you figured it out, right? Yep. I decided we wanted to do real estate and I wanted to help people. It just was like this perfect combination of doing it. Um, I can say like, we focus more on the cash on cash flow because, because we do buy and hold. So um, we don't focus so much on the other numbers. We are, we, we, when we look at a house and we crunch our numbers now, we look at making between 25 and 30% cash on cash return for each of those houses. Um, so it is a really good return. Yeah. Very nice return. Did you have to figure out like, is there different zoning or permitting, you know, given that it's a different type of living situation than say like a regular house? Actually there's not, um, you don't have to do licensing and zoning and all of that because sober livings are considered um, protected under the Fair Housing Act, the Disability Act, the Federal Fair Housing Act. So um, we don't call it rent. We call it contributions. Um, It's like family members living together, contributing to a household because it's basically um, by law disabled people living together in one home. So there's a little bit of a different um, way of like, thinking about it than just like I have, you know, all these renters. So we don't rent out rooms. We don't rent out um, like big spaces. We rent out the beds basically. So we have um, two people in a room, three people in a room, four people in a room, depending on the size of the room. And they each pay, you know, $600 a month contribution. And, um, and it's just basically a month to month. It's actually not even month to month. It's day by day, minute to minute, we have a different agreement with them. So when they come in, they sign our agreement that basically if they relapse, they don't follow the rules, we can ask them to leave at any time. And they can also leave at any time. They're not stuck there for a month or whatever. And we've, um, I know we do things completely different than most investors. Usually you hear from everybody, you know, background checks and, you know, (laughs) credit checks and all of that. I do no background checks. I do no credit checks. And we have had the most amazing experience. I have long-term people that have been with me. Um, right now, the longest I have in my house is four years. Some a tenant that's been in there for four years. So, um, I mean, technically, if something were to go wrong and they wanted to push the envelope and say, you can't kick me out, you know, I would have to go through the eviction process. But I've never had to do that in seven years. Usually if some, if they're not following rules or they do something like a relapse, there's 17 other guys living in the house. They aren't going to want to stay in a house full of guys when they're drinking or using drugs and everybody else is trying to stay clean and sober. So it's a very, for us, it has been a very easy process when somebody has to leave. Um, I do do my best to give them phone numbers to detox centers or rehabs or to help them. Um, but it is ultimately when they come in, they know exactly what we're expecting. They know our protocol on the exit plan for them if they don't follow the rules or they do use any drugs or alcohol. 
Wow, this is completely different than, you know, any other type of real estate investing that I've ever heard about, which it's so amazing. And it also almost like a structure set up within it, within it of itself, you know, to self-regulate anybody who steps out of line or ends up relapsing. Like you said, you know, they probably won't want to be there around everybody else. And everybody also, you know, won't want them to be there as well. So that kind of takes care of it self. Um, I'm wondering if you have any stories of your tenants, it sounds like you have such a great relationship with them. You know, this is not the typical uh, landlord tenant relationship, you have people living with you for like up to four years, that's a pretty long time. Yeah. Um, so the way we structure the house and I've learned over, you know, the first year was definitely a learning process. Um, but we have, it's very similar almost to a mobile home park situation. So we have a manager and assistant manager that live in the house all the time. So there's somebody there and um, they're usually for us in recovery as well. So they know the whole game of that. Um, so they take care of most of any, of the issues that come up, unless it's something they don't know how to handle, they call me and then I can, um, you know, help them through that mostly by phone. I very rarely have to go over to the houses to take care of a situation anymore. Um, on Sunday nights, we do have like a Sunday night meeting where the whole house gets together and everybody talks about, you know, like don't leave your dish in the sink or whatever the, you know, little issue is for the week. And then, um, I don't have to be there, but I do go to those because I really enjoy them. And for me, it's just something that I look forward to. So I know every single person in my houses, I know their story. I feel like for me, uh, the connection to them helps me with um, how to support them in our house, even though I'm not interacting with them on a daily basis or um, even a weekly basis. But if something does come up, I know how to kind of support that person. The managers are really the ones that are there 24 hours a day um, to support them. And they're, they, they live there 24 hours a day, but they also have jobs outside the house and lives outside the house. So they can um, have that, but just be there at night to sleep and all that stuff. Gotcha. The, so then the on-site kind of manager for you, do they do that for like in exchange for um, cheaper rent or do you have some kind of agreement with them as well? Yep. So the managers, um, most of them, depending on their, um, you know, how many um, assistant managers they need or whatnot, most of it is um, room and board. And then the assistant manager is anywhere from like $100 off to half rent off, depending on their role. In, in what they're helping the manager with. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, sometimes there's other incentives and stuff that you can do in Christmas and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's just either full or half rent off. Nice. Very nice. And you said year one was a lot of learnings for you. Would you mind sharing, you know, with the listeners who may be interested in getting into this business, what some of those learnings were? It was the protocol for me, like really getting that um, firmed up and, and also learning how to really separate the business and the compassion side and understanding that it is still a business and I still have to, you know, make sure that rents in on, on our contributions are in on the first and, you know, because dealing with drug addicts and alcoholics, there's a lot of uh, manipulation that can happen, a lot of boundaries that can be crossed. And so I really had to learn how to put 
strong boundaries that really tighten up my protocol, really be strict on the, the contribution or rent side of it um, because everybody's going to have a story and a hardship and all of this stuff. So I really had to kind of separate that business and compassion side, knowing that I still have compassion and I'm helping them, but be very firm that rent is due on the first, like no pay, no stay type stuff. And, um, and that took me, you know, six months to a year to really get that going. And now I, it's not even an issue anymore because we just have that. And in, in we're very clear with what we expect from them. And then they just know that. So yeah, there's not too much boundary pushing. You get it every once in a while. And I also don't mind helping somebody if they come to me far in advance. Don't come to me on the first and say you don't have your money because then we're I just can't, I don't have patience for that. But if you come to me before the first and you have a legitimate, you know, Hey, I can't pay on the third because I have no problem working with someone. Um, but it doesn't, I won't allow it to go on past a few days. So pretty much everyone is really good about getting their rent in. And as we speak, I have 48 beds. So 48 rents coming in on the first which is nice because we only have three houses, but we have 48 beds. So it's only, you know, three houses to take care of maintenance and that type of stuff, but still 48 tenants basically. Yeah, that is an amazing setup and I want to hear more about it. Um, But I do want to bring up the point that sounds like you really have your process down and, you know, coming from a background of like therapy, I know it can be hard to separate between yourself and the people that you're trying to help. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for people who might, um, are interested in getting into this business, I think it's very important to be aware of yourself and your own boundaries and make sure you are able to, and have set strong boundaries, right? Would you agree? Yes, very much so. And I think, like I said, it's very close to the mobile home park um, way of doing things. We looked into buying some mobile home parks and um, it was actually very similar with protocols and rent. And, um, you know, you're probably going to get some of the same stories and some of the same hardship um, that I'm dealing with. At the end of the day, though, the numbers just didn't make sense to me with the mobile home park. I still make more cash flow with doing a sober living. So we decided to stick with that. Um, but I would say to anybody before you, you know, start this, make sure you're very tight on your protocol because when you're confident and you're tight on your protocol and everybody's um, aware of like, okay, this is what's going to happen. If, if this happens, these are the consequences for this. It, it just goes so much smoother than if you're wishy-washy or, you know, you have, there's loopholes for them to kind of, you know, get through. And then once we had our protocols down, Everybody knew it just, it just was pretty simple. Yeah. In that six month period where you were getting your protocols down was, does it, did certain things happen that made you realize this? Like the protocol is so important to have down in this business. Yes, for sure. I had lots of stories. Um, probably if I could remember lots of tears on my end, because I was like, am I doing this right? It feels like, you know, I'm like being pulled in a hundred different directions and, you know, I, I mean, an example would be, I have an open phone policy. If my managers aren't, you know, there for them or somebody really needs to talk to me, I'm of course call me. But in that first year, I really had an open phone policy. So I'm, people were calling me like, I can't find my sock. It must be behind the, you know, like silly things. And I was like, Oh, this is, this can't be, (laughs) I can't keep doing this. 
So now it's like you go to the manager, you know, the manager can't help you then come to me, but 99.9% of the time the manager can take care of everything. Um, and sometimes I just get them to call me they, they'll call me and just say, I just need to talk for a minute. Like I need advice on something. And it's actually really amazing. I've had, um, I can give you a story about one kid. He came in 10 years on heroin, could not get his life together for anything. He came in a couple months after he came in, he started sitting down with me and talking to me about the sober living and like how he's interested in maybe doing some real estate. And, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, you know, you're two months off heroin, you know, like take it slow. But every month he would come to me and he would show me how much he was saving. And, and he sat down with my husband and they did budgets and it was amazing. So two years after he was with us, he decided to move to Iowa, um, not Idaho, sorry, Idaho. And he just called me the other day and he has like 40 grand saved. He's about to buy his first, you know, investment property. And those are the stories that I love to see how people get their lives back on track and um, that we all, we got to give him a safe, structured living environment for him to be able to get back up on his feet. That's such an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's also, you know, a testament to what you're doing for these people by giving them that place, that safe place. It's like you got to be a part of his journey into mm -hmm. real estate investing too, which is so great. <laughs> the stories where they do relapse and, you know, they struggle with all of it. But um, in between those stories really are what drives me. Yeah, that is awesome. So you said you have three houses now, but 48 beds. So can you explain that? Yes. So my house, number one is my small house. It's a men's house. I have 11 beds in that house. Um, we have a four man room, three, two man rooms, and then the manager's room. Um, house two, we have eight bedrooms and 20 men in that house. And, and my house three is a female house and we have 17 beds in that house. Okay. Are they all um, separate, like male and female, or are they also mixed houses you just choose not to? Uh, people do do co-ed houses. I choose not to. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't do co-ed. God, anything that's like another level of difficulty. Yeah. I try to make my life as simple as possible. Um, you know, we also... The, I want, I do want to say this. There are a lot of sober living homes that aren't great that, you know, the owners are not involved in, um, the managers might be doing some not great stuff. Um, those are the houses that give up the good houses, a bad reputation. So, um, it's, it's really important for me that our houses are really safe, clean houses for people to, to live in and grow in. Um, there was a point to that. Now I can't remember. <laughs> um, my, my brain. Anyway, um, it's very important for me to have good houses with good reputation. So um, just letting people know not all sober living houses are great. So if you are thinking about doing one, please make sure that you put the time and energy into making the right protocols, having some involvement, doing it for the right reasons, because a lot of people do get into it because it is really good cash flow, but it's, it's not a form of real estate investment to get into just to get that money because there are people's lives in your hands that really need that support in a good place. And if you don't provide that, I feel like you're failing 
you know, the compassionate side of, of things. So for me, that would be one point I'd like to get across to people that don't just hear the number of like, yes, you can make a ton of money. Let's turn all of our houses into sober living houses. There is another aspect of like humanity to it. Oh, very, very much so in this business, it sounds like, you know, I'm wondering for people who are interested in getting started and want to do it the right way, are there resources? Because it doesn't sound like even when you were um, starting this like seven years ago that there was anything that you found out there. But how about now? There are some resources. Um, Where I'm at in California, we have the Sober Living Network. Um which is um, like a nationally recognized organization that helps with sober living homes. Um, I sit on the board of the Riverside Sober Living Coalition. So people can come to our meetings and we help them kind of get started. Um, we do have a training that they can sit through for a day and like kind of just understand a little bit of the process on how to get started. But basically there are no laws really that you can't start it in certain neighborhoods or, or different things. It's um, because of the federal fair housing act, you can just start it. Um, but there are some resources that are available to help, you know, just with some of your questions to start out with. Nice. Is it also partially funded by the government or I'm completely 100% private pay. But there are a lot of programs now, um, the STOP program, which um, is affiliated with the prison system. So they can, they'll send you people directly from the prison system. And there's lots of things surrounding that. Um, Riverside County, where, where I have my houses in California, they have a lot of programs. Um, now they have a new program called uh, Recovery Residence, where when people come out of rehab and they don't have funds, they will help pay for four months of sober living. But so you can sign up for those for certain. I just don't, I don't really need to do that. And I haven't had um, just, I just would rather do private pay for all kinds of different reasons. Um, so I choose private pay, but there are lots of programs that people do sign up with that are government funded. Nice. I just imagine it's probably easier not to have to deal with like these government yeah. programs, right? A lot of paperwork, a lot of, so I've just taken the private pay route, but. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested, there is assistance out there. So yes. So, I mean, dealing with, um, you know, your own, like starting up of this business from scratch with your husband and, um, you know, facing some of the challenges in the first six months to one year until now, um, I'm wondering what has like kept you going, what's kept you motivated um, to go through, you know, all of the difficulties along the way that you might have experienced. I think for me, my motivation is the time and financial freedom it brings. I literally hardly have any time that I have to put into it in terms of, um, you know, sitting in my office and, you know, I get calls on my phone. If I'm full or I'm busy, I can call them back later. Um, if it's an emergency from one of my managers, I'll take the phone call and deal with it right then. But really, I mean, I probably have, some days, maybe I have an hour on the phone. Other days, maybe I have, you know, two hours, three hours that I'm dealing with a situation. Um, I don't have to really go to the houses if I didn't want to. I, for me, it's that time 
time freedom. Like I don't have to be anywhere at any certain time. I choose when I want to go over. Um, I can pick my kids up from school. Like I just have so much time freedom. I love to travel. So for me, I, I don't do a week here or there. I do two and a half, three months out of the country. So for me, it gives Amazing. me the finance, financial freedom and the time freedom to be able to say, you know, every summer I'm leaving for three months. Um, most of it I can handle on the phone. It's not any more difficult than any of anybody else's rentals now that I have everything in place. Right. So for me, and I think also my other motivation would be being able to see the people who do good and come out of the houses and succeed and like get to integrate back into society and they're productive and successful is just, I'm so proud of them. Yeah. It's not like any other, you know, not many other real estate investing genres allow you to get that kind of um, impact that you can make on someone's life. I bet like COVID must have you feeling some type of way because no travel, like oh, kids are just at home. I had my big trip to Indonesia planned this summer and oh. they had to cancel it because the flights weren't going to Singapore and, you know, all that. So we took, you know, some other trips to Oregon and stuff, but it was, this is the first summer I think in, I could ever remember my entire life that I'm here for the summer. I'm growing up. We did the same thing. My parents had a house in Switzerland. They have a house in Jamaica. They have houses wherever. So we would just travel and pretty much spend our whole summers in Europe every, every year or so. Hopefully travel comes back soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So how about for your business? Like what are your goals now that, you know, things are pretty much automated. You can travel if you want to. Are you looking to expand your portfolio? Um, try out different genres of real estate. What are your goals? Let's say for like short term and long term. Yeah. So for the last year, we've been actually looking for another house to do a sober living in. But as everybody knows the you know, the market right now, the inventory is just so low and it's in California, Southern California, it's especially low because I, it's very specific for me. So I'm looking for a certain size house, a certain area, and it just hasn't, you know, that good opportunity hasn't popped up in the last year. So my husband and I were talking and we decided to um, get creative and use some of the property we already have with big yards that we don't really use the yard. So we are in the early stages. I'm working with our architect and the city right now. Um, we're going to build two 1200 square foot ADUs. Um, nice. So we'll have a total of eight extra bedrooms in those. And we're going to probably not do those as sober livings, but we're going to rent those by the room. So we'll oh, how come you want to do it differently for the ADUs? I think just, um, just to try something different. Yeah, just to kind of diversify a tad bit. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, we're just gonna take uh, take that and just um, yeah, do it as uh, rent it out by each room just to nice rent regular renters. <laughs> yeah, those are some huge ADUs, and I think it's the way to go. Especially, I mean, in California because they've made it significantly easier to get permits for ADU versus any other like ground up kind of construction. And for me right now doing those, like crunching the numbers and stuff, um, I'm going to build both of those with no loan or anything. So I'll just out pay outright for those to be built. And so our cash on cash for those will be about 28%. And so, um, 
you know, we won't have a mortgage on those. It'll just be a hundred percent cash flow back. Like we'll have very little maintenance because they're going to be brand new buildings and that kind of stuff. So I just felt like for the amount of money it's going to take us to build will be cheaper than just buying one house in Southern California. Um, the cash flow will be great. And um, yeah, it's just a matter of getting permits and stuff and going from there. Right. Now they have a lot of um, like prefab already manufactured homes too for ADUs that are basically like drop and play. So I don't know if you've considered it, but that might be able to speed up your timeline as well. Yeah, no, we haven't because we're doing these two story. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, in the space area is a little bit, yeah, we're having to really kind of work with our architect to get creative with the space, but I'm really excited because we have only bought houses. So this is building from the ground up. It's a whole different ball game. <laughs> um, so it's been really interesting to learn, you know, kind of the process on that. My husband is very familiar with that because he does commercial general contracting. So he builds things all day long. But for me, it's kind of an exciting new process to learn. Yeah, I love that. You're like um, expanding from what you know and do really well and trying something different and new. And listen, I always have um, plan A, B, C, and D. It's just how my brain works. So if it ends up that I don't really like doing the rent by room, I can easily turn it into a sober living and kind of go back to my safety net of what I really understand. So we'll see. And then I think after that, my big, you know, kind of dream is to um, buy a house in Switzerland. And so I've been on the searching the market for that. Um, I'm a Swiss citizen too. So it's kind of like my second home. So we're excited about that. Um, and, and something like that, I'll probably do a short term rental, but maybe not Airbnb. So I'll probably approach some big corporations and rent it out to some of their CEOs that come to visit from other countries for a few months here or there while we're not using it. And so those are the kind of three things that are in my next year to two year plan. That's so exciting. And I heard Swiss citizenship is hard to come by. So that's good that you have that. (laughs) Definitely. How exciting. Do you have any advice for someone, you know, who's just starting out maybe, and they just want to get in now, what would you maybe tell them? Are you talking about real estate in general or sober living home? I think sober living. Yeah. Um, call me. <laughs> I can tell you all the things to do or not to do. Um, but I think if, you know, most people really that I talk to that I come across, most of us have someone in their life, whether it be family member, a friend, a friend of a someone that you know has been affected by drugs or alcohol. And I think that um, good houses are in very much need, like a good sober living houses in most communities need a good sober living house. So I would say, you know, really the first part to look at is the um, area. Like you want to be close to transportation. You want to be close to a good recovery community. You want like the, the area is the good place to start. Um, budget would be the next. It depends on how you want to do it. So I did it again, different than everyone else told me to. Um, most of living just kind of put, you know, old furniture and, um, hand-me-downs and thrift store stuff. And I really went into my houses and I gutted them. I made them look like, um, designer houses, you know, like I did everything kind of custom in terms of furniture, but I did it with really creativity. So if I got an old dresser, I would, I 
redid it to make it look really cool and, you know, modern and whatever. Um, and my standard was I wouldn't put anything in that house that I wouldn't personally live with. So the mattresses, the sheets, the, all of that stuff. So I'm giving them a very high quality of living for an affordable price because I think that when they feel that they're worth that, they take pride in the house. And they do better when they feel like somebody actually cares about them. So sometimes people will say, well, that's more money than I wanted to spend. But, but overall, with the cash flow I'm getting, I'm still totally fine. I can still do that and make you know, plenty of money. Um, yes, I could probably make more if I did it different, but I, it's, you know, it's all part of my plan. So I think that's also what contributes to me having um, a wait list all the time because then I think I'm the same price as everybody else in our city, but I have not, you know, a lot nicer houses and higher quality of stuff. So I guess my point would be to have somebody really sit down with budget and figure out how they want to do it. If they want to do it the way I'm doing it, then they need to figure out their budget because upfront it can be a little bit pricey to get all the furniture and because a normal rental you don't really furnish. Um, there's cheaper ways to start and then you can upgrade later as cash flow starts coming in. But I would say really um, location, budget, and then really searching yourself to see if you're doing it for just the money part or if you would like to have the money and you can do the compassion kind of part of it. Mm -hmm. Make sure your heart's in the business, right? Yeah. And you know, you said you kind of did it differently than everybody told you, but like looking back now from where you are, is there anything you would have done differently? I don't know. Um, I definitely, I don't think so. I mean, I think whatever I did, I kind of had to learn through, but I, I wouldn't, I would still do the high quality furniture and the beds and all that. I wouldn't go back on any of that. I definitely think um, when I went to purchase the house, like my house number two, that was probably my biggest learning experience with unpermitted structures and, you know, that kind of stuff that came up that I would definitely research differently or have more knowledge on. But in terms of starting the sober living, I feel like I, it was just a perfect journey. And I don't mean that there wasn't any ups and downs. It was just exactly how I needed to learn myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really beautiful, I think, because a lot of times people get caught up and they're like, you know, I don't like this. I don't like that. But it's like it's all part of the process and it's not really over until the end. Right. So even though you might be like stuck on something right now, you got to look at the bigger picture and the end goal. Yeah, I think I hear a lot of people saying like, well, you have to fail. <laughs> I failed technically say failures. I've definitely had that, but I don't look at them as failures. I look at them as gifts. And I, I think I'm so grateful for all those, you know, things that most people would take as negatives that came into my path. Cause I think it just really enhanced what we're doing and our, you know, who I am as a person and how I can actually help these people on the different level because of, you know, low points I've been in my life. So I take it all as a gift. Well, it's like your sober living, you know, homes and you yourself wouldn't be the way you are without everything that's happened before, right? Yeah. And I have to say, I've looked online and they look really cool. They're really oh, colorful. 
So if people are interested in checking it out, how can they find out more information about you? And I know you gave, you said call me, so you better be careful about that because some <laughs> listeners might actually call you. Um, so you can get a hold of me on, I don't even know all my stuff by heart, but um, at Investing Mama on Instagram and uh, Devana at rndinvesting.com. And um, our website is thehouseofcourage.com, right? Is that, is that, did, I say, did I say that? Yeah, thehouseofcourage.com, yes. Um, and um, my emails are on there. You can also get a hold of me at devana at thehouseofcourage.com for my other email. And yeah, I think, you know, DM me if you have questions. Um, I can try to answer as much as I can or at least direct you in the right area. But it's something that um, has just been, you know, kind of starting off. My husband was a little apprehensive. He hasn't had a lot of experience with addiction or anything like that. And now he is, he loves it. He's just, it's, it's been great. So I love that, you know, because sometimes there is a little bit of stigma around, you know, you know, addicts or people who have gone through addiction, but look at your husband now, he's like on the other side and like totally like owner of sober living homes and supportive, right? So that's beautiful. And I thank you so much. No, I think looking at it, um, doing it different than everybody told me to do it or that most people rent their houses. Cause it's kind of scary to be like, I'm just going to let this drug addict come in. How do we get them out? What, what happens if this happens? But I have to say that overall like um, experience that we have had has been really quite peaceful. Like we've maybe once or twice in the seven years have I had anybody push back on that. And, and if I get really firm with it, they just go, I haven't had a whole lot of, um, bad experiences with trying to get somebody out of the house and that kind of thing. Um, you have some, you could definitely have some crazy little things that happen or some, you know, weird situations that you're like, huh, how do I handle this? But it's fairly, it, fairly simple to, um, kind of fix all those little things. And overall it's been a really smooth journey for us. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. And it's also very encouraging too. So, you know, if anybody is listening is interested, I highly encourage you to reach out because thank you so much for making yourself available, Devana. I think this is such a, like I said in the beginning, heart-centered business. So I really want to make sure, you know, I think you should make sure too, if you're interested, that your heart is in it. And yeah, if there's people who've done it before, like Devana, who's, um, you know, made themselves available, I would fully take advantage of that and reach out. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was awesome.